Welcome to Around the Corner. My name is Ben Wager, and I'm with my co-host, Don Gibson. And as you know, if you've watched or listened to our podcast before, we are looking at movies from 1965 to 1975. And we're coming up to 1974, where Don and I have picked uh, two very different movies uh, from very different styles and very different audiences as well. Uh, Don has gone with um, a, a classic disaster film called Earthquake. And I went with a uh, more of a, a classic film in general called Chinatown. So uh, without further ado, we're gonna let Don uh, open it up by giving us a little background on Earthquake. Yeah, well, you said it right because Earthquake when it was advertised originally was in Sense Around Sound. And I still don't even know what that is, but when I, so we, when we talked, when we started this, the first one you did, you talked about your memories of watching a film and, you know, just lying around <coughs> the living room and, and seeing where Eagles Dare and the memories. This film is one of the first films that I absolutely loved when I was a kid. And I went to the theater and it was in sense around sound. And so, of course, the theater shook every time. Uh, the earthquake is but an earthquake. It's not a complicated film. Um, funnily enough, though, there was a subway line that went underneath the theater. And so, you know, every time it was approaching, it would, one, is it a tremor for the earthquake and the character aren't reacting. So I remember that quite vividly. And it's also the first film I ever saw twice. I went back like the next week because I thought it was so great. <laughs> and I, I think it's the first time I've seen it since then. That's, uh, it's about four, 40 something years ago. And uh, I wouldn't say it really holds up as well as my memories, but there are some, <laughs> there are some really great things about this film. I mean, first of all, Charlton Heston is the lead. And he is the lead in such great films as Planet of the Apes and The Omega Man, uh, Soylent Green, you know, Ben-Hur. And he, he's, he's got that, I mean, his politics aside, I'm not never a big fan of his politics, but uh, the way he is indignant and you know he's never going to get harmed and he's always saving people, uh, he's a really great lead. Um, and also a, a, a great film uh, actress from the 70s who's also Canadian, Genevieve Beaujol is in it. Um, she's a beautiful French-Canadian actress. She was in a film later on called Coma. And she's the, you know, the lead and she's quite lovely and she's having an affair with Charlton Heston. And, uh, and, and Lauren Green, so the Canadian connection, he's also in there. And uh, he is uh, um, the father-in-law of Charlton Heston. bringing up all the Canadians, Don? Yeah, well, I just, it just happened. I didn't even realize it, but there. And Lauren Green is... Is great. Greg, Lauren Green's got a great scene. So the there's a there's all these storylines and all these people are connected in, and, and there's a giant earthquake that happens, and that this whole stairway collapses, and so Charlton Haston has to help people come down like two three stories with uh, this broken you know uh, um, handrail, and then you know all this complicated thing of lowering people down on a chair. Fire hose. And, oh, fire hose. Yeah, the fire hose. Yeah, the fire hose. And there's a great scene where it's just ripping slowly. But then Lauren Green is trying to like tie people into the into the into the chair, and he's he's this great line is like, "Pantyhose, give me your pantyhose, damn it!" And he means it so like sincerely, but it there's there's an edge to it. I don't know if you could use that line uh, today. And another actor that, that's in it is Walter Matthau, and he's got the <laughs> oddest cameo. So he's just this guy, and he's basically dressed like a sixty seventy or drunk. Yeah, he's the bar drunk and he's but he's dressed with this crazy pink shirt or purple shirt, a purple hat. And very and he, hip, very hip, bar very drunk. hip. And he's just sitting there getting and there's an earthquake. The earthquake happens while he's there. 
And his lines are, he just looks up and says things like Bobby Riggs, who was this controversial tennis player at the time. And what is his other one? He says, um, Peter Fonda. And really apropos of nothing. And, and the earthquake happens and everyone's being crushed and killed. And he's just sitting there trying to drink. And by the time when the earthquake finally ends, he just falls off his stool because he's off his stool because he's really drunk. And that's and, the last. You know, the, the I I I was really surprised by how long some of the shots of him were, just trying to manage this little shot he was trying to. I know. They, they spent like there was one point where it was probably a minute of the film of him just the earthquakes happening and he's just trying to hold his drink steady and he's not sure if he's drunk or it's the what's going on and it. it it was amazing to me that they spent so much time on that one shot. And uh, and I noticed too, also, he did not get credited as Walter Matthau in that movie. He went with his full, like, Polish name, like Walter Matthauszewski or whatever his, his, yeah. uh, his, his original name is, uh, which I thought was very funny because, you know, there was absolutely no benefit to him in that movie whatsoever. But go ahead. Yeah, well, no, that's the funny thing. It's like... His, his, like, in terms of, like, a story and all these characters, there are stories and, and, they, and they all sort of come together and there is some sort of tone or theme. But there's also, there's just sort of, like, just, like, his role has nothing to, whatsoever to do with the film. But, and he's got these funny lines. And as you said, he probably gets about two and a half, three minutes of screen time. And there's really no reason for him to be in the film at all. Um, and another, so in that bar, so our other main guy, what's his name? It's uh, George Kennedy. Yeah. And George Kennedy, yeah. he got his name five or six years previously. He was in Cool Hand Luke and he yeah. won the Oscar that he year. He's a tough guy in Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, and he also was in another film this year, which I think is a better film called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. It's George Kennedy and Clint Eastwood. And it's, uh, it's a cop, uh, it's a crime drama and he's pretty awesome in that too. But anyway, he's, the, he's this cop that really believes in doing the right thing and you know, he just became a cop to do, and the, the, the film opens with him chasing a, a really bad guy that ran over some girl and he chases him to somebody else's district. He gets in trouble and he's he's suspended from the force because he doesn't follow the rules. And then he's in that bar where Maltramatho is and saying, I just became a cop because I want to do the right thing and they're firing him. And and then this guy, uh, Miles Quaid, there's a stunt bike, bike driver in this, like he's kind of like a black evil Knievel. Um, and he's played by, uh, Who's that? It's uh, Richard well, Roundtree. Yeah, he's he was actually famous for the black exploitation. Uh... Yeah, he was Shaft. Yeah, he was Shaft. Right? And then he's got this girl, like this sort of pinup girl that sort of like is his, you know, the sexy girl with him. And that's and the crazy thing is that's Victoria Principal, who was I famous know. in Dallas. No, wow. And she's got this giant fro wig on. She's supposed to look Latina or something. And it's just, when you look at this stuff now and realize, because these, these are all well-known actors, and they're all just doing this kind of cheesy, I mean, in terms of the film, it's kind of like an Adam 12 or an emergency. I don't know if anyone remembers those TV shows from the 70s. It's all just can't be, the acting isn't great, oh, but no one so really cares. It's such a B movie in general. I mean, it's a B movie. With A-list stars in it. Though. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. And this is great scene. So Lauren Green, it's not Lauren Green, uh, but George Kennedy, he's the good guy, and then, and this, the, the, the motorcycle stunt guy says, hey, you got to give me some money to help me build my props. He's like, I'm done giving you money. I've already lent you money. So then he gets Victoria Principal to unzip her leather jacket. And she's wearing one of Miles' uh, tour shirts. Tight, and tight shirt. Yeah, and she's wearing a shirt. There's no bra. And, he, you know, she, we're, and the camera is just staring at her breasts. 
And, and George Kennedy is, just, is like Sarah Breast handing money over to the guy. You know, it's like basically a lap dance, like a, it's a PG lap dance. Yeah, like a little flash. It's so weird. And, but he's the good guy. And she's just like standing there looking at my breast, look at my breasts. And it's this whole weird scenario. Like who is this character? And why is he giving out all this money just to look at this woman on a t-shirt? In terms of like story arc and everything, you know, you're not looking at this film. Well, they just needed the TNA in the in the movie. She oh yeah, movie. she's running around screaming yeah. a lot, and then of course she's you know. she's caught looting. Which all she is, she I don't know why the earthquake happens. Donut. She like, was looting a donut. <laughs> yeah, she was like taking a donut. I don't know why she's suddenly so hungry because you know I think she ate a while ago, but it's like she's been starving for days. She goes to the cafe to get a donut, and this this guy who's the manager of the of the uh, grocery store is now in the National Guard. Uh, but he's got this really evil darkness to him, and he's—we find out in his apartment—he's got all these guns and knives and. Yeah, it's and, like a—they added like a whole po post-apocalyptic kind of vibe to the movie. Yeah. Like society is broken down, and now you know whoever now has, these the guys take has, more. has the power. You know. Yeah, and there's like these three guys that live in his apartment before, and they're all mocking him, and then they—they're caught looting, and then it's his opportunity to get revenge, and so he kills them all. Yeah, cold-blooded in front of all his. his Cold-blooded, yeah. Guardsmen, and, then, and they're just like, "Hey, you shouldn't do that." I'm calling the officer. <laughs> yeah, and then Victoria Principal comes around and says, "No, don't worry, I'll take care of you." And then he puts her in this abandoned building, and then it's a rape is is going to happen. Of course, George Kennedy shows up in the neck of time and and kills the guy. But these yeah. stories are just so random. Yeah. The reason to see this film is definitely, I mean, the the, the special effects are pretty good. I mean, they're dated now because they use a lot of models. There's no CGI. I mean, when the dam when the dam breaks, it's it's really doesn't doesn't hold up because it's just models. But there's some pretty cool. They they use the back lot. They they use massive sets, and there's these scenes where people are running the street and they're, they're throwing these giant styrofoam, you know, blocks of whatever. But it's supposed to be, and the people are getting crushed by these things. Oh, it's, it's so cheap. Awesome. I didn't think the special. I mean, the, the special effects reminded me of like a really bad Japanese monster movie you know like back in the 50s you know it was the well, it, they, it, they won the award that year for best special effects yeah. well i mean there were a couple of things that that were staged that were that looked good but i would say like probably 60 percent of the special effects you were like looking at the chicken wire and the duct tape around the, the it's not the quite that bad paper yeah. machine. you know <laughs> it just you know things yeah. like big big girders were hitting people and then bouncing off of them and <laughs> Instead yeah. of like crushing them, it was like they'd bounce off the girder would bounce off the back of the person, and they'd this still be standing crazy. there going, "Ah, oh, yeah. you know." And you were just like, "Oh wow, okay, you know." Yeah. So there was, it, you know, there was lacking. There was definitely, um, you know, they they spent money on uh, probably Charlton Heston's salary, and then everything else was cut down to the bone. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's not true. I think you're giving it a pretty hard time, but I, it, because I mean, some of the model setups they did are pretty, pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, I know it's not, you know, uh, uh, it's certainly nothing compared to CGI. I mean, it's no, 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 but I mean, it, it, it did have a certain railroad track, railroad, yeah. model, railroad train kind of set. And, and interesting. So when I saw this film, uh, when I was a kid, there's a scene. So the elevator, the hurricane, the hurricane, the earthquake happens, and then all these people at the top of this building, and then the elevator door opens, and all these people rush on to get on the elevator to go down. And I don't know what these people are thinking, but that's what they do. And of course, we know it's going to be bad, and they get on, and then of course, there's, there's bad things. It starts rumbling again, and so then there's this 
great. I was terrified when I saw this as a kid and uh, the uh, elevator collapses and they and they had they, they tried to mimic what it'd be like for the elevator to go down like 25 floors and then bounce up again. And apparently they, they tried to uh, do this thing for like uh, like three, four days to do the shoot. They never could get it. And then the final version, what they do is they 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 just throw throw cartoon blood on the on the lens of the screen. And I, I thought it was the weirdest sort of, you know, sort of experimental idea. But then I read about it. It turns out they just couldn't figure out how to do the special effect and they just ended up doing this really cheap thing that was a disaster. They spent three days on shooting the elevator scene, and in the end they never could uh, it never never worked. So. Yeah, well, it, it, I, I would agree. I don't think it. <laughs> well, um, that's not what you I know, but I thought it was funny that uh, you know it was so Darwinian. You know, just watching all these people in an earthquake get on an elevator, and you're just thinking, okay, those people are stupid. You know, it's like yeah. common sense yeah. is like stairway. It's an yeah. elf. It's, it's the, the whole well, building. And the same thing. Part. I don't. Know if you, I don't know if you've seen Towering Inferno. So that came out the same year, and that even had a bigger cast. That had Steve McQueen and, and Paul Newman. Uh, and others, there was a, it was a really big cast, and they had the same things. It's, it's a giant building that's a it's, it's sure. on fire, and they had the same things like, okay, don't take. They said, don't take the elevator because it could open on the bad floor, and the doors open, and of course, twenty people flood onto the thing, and of course, it opens on the burning floor, and then next time we see them, they fall out. They're all on fire, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and just as you said, is these these films are definitely Darwinian. It's like. Look at this group of people that's going to die, and yeah, then uh, yeah, totally. we see that it happen. Exactly, that was exactly how I felt. Like on the dam, the, the people with the dam are like, "Yeah, you know, it's a, it's yeah. some, some kind of crack there." Uh, yeah, that crack wasn't there before. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save my, I'm gonna go back into my house and I'm gonna get some more stuff during the earthquake. You know, so yeah, yeah, totally. Know. And there's yeah. a scene when they right before the earthquake starts, and, and Genevieve Beaujolais looking for her son. Or she's just walking in the valley, and there's a guy standing up on a, on a deck with with massive stilts. He's with his coffee, and we look at him a couple of times. We're like, "That guy is in trouble because he's on this deck that's going to fall into the valley." And sure enough, you know, we see him trying to get in the house. Of course, he, the house you know collapses. A cheap model, but it falls in the valley and he dies. But yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> So yeah, overall though, you know, I could see how you could have a childhood connection to this movie. I didn't, I didn't feel that connection watching it. I mean, I got through it, uh, but it just it it didn't feel it. like a very, uh, you know, seventies, uh, yeah. you know, early disaster test movie. You know, um, and uh, I don't particularly care for that those type of movies anyway. So it was, it was, you know, if it had some more. If it had a little something else besides what they tried to do, maybe I could have enjoyed it. But it was it was not a you know, it was it was it was corny and cheesy and I just had to embrace that part and, and wait for it to end. Yeah. Well and also it's like it's one of it's the early ones. So the first the first two people consider airport, which is the it's based on the uh, on the uh, the Arthur Haley book and it's everyone on a plane, this guy with a bomb and, and it's the same right. kind of thing as what terrible things going to happen and then Poseidon Adventure came up that year oh, yeah. Poseidon Adventure holds up incredibly well it's a the upside down boat and sure, it's, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a really good one but then they Hollywood realized what we can make these movies and then Earthquake Tower Inferno, Inferno came out and then Jaws was the following year which is a little bit different but it's really the same thing it's just like a terrible thing happening and how are all these people going to react and crazy special effects but I wouldn't say Earthquake is a 
a great film, but it's certainly a great, uh, you know, indicator of what it was like in the day and what was considered, it was like the fifth highest, most popular film um, of that year. It was a, it was a big grossing film. And it's like the ones we have now, you know, not now like Armageddon and, you know, 2012. Well, they, they, and were, they redid this. I mean, there was an LA earthquake movie a few years back. There was. It was like San Andreas or Los Angeles, or I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, with what's his name? You know, the wrestler. Yeah, um, but there's definitely a, the Rock. Maybe I don't know. But the Rock was in it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it seems like they kind of redid aspects of this. You know, this. Uh, yeah. So I think with the way that America was at that time, with what's happening with the presidents, what's happening with the wars, you know, people yeah. were feeling that kind of angst yeah. of disaster. So. And what's interesting in the film is that uh, it ends tragically. I mean, it's not- It's not a happy ending. No, it's not a happening. And, and we see these films now, Dwayne Johnson, yeah. And you see the modern one and Dwayne Johnson, there's no way Dwayne Johnson's gonna die in that film. He's gonna save the girl and you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the dog died. That's even pushing it and that's it. And everybody else made it and we learned our lesson. And um, in this movie, there's not everyone dies but there's a couple of key people that die. And you're like, wow, I was really surprised when that happened. I was, Devastated yeah. as a kid. Yeah, Lauren Green dies. You know, Lauren Green dies. And then yeah. uh, I think his Charles wife, his dies. wife dies. Ava Gardner dies. Ava Gardner dies. You know, and um, Roundtree dives. The uh, we see him going off in the motorcycle, and the water's chasing him, and we know he's not going to make it. Yeah, you know, the Richard Roundtree thing was interesting because it, the the character was very familiar to me, even though I hadn't seen the movie. And then it reminded me in Ocean's Thirteen, Don, Don Cheedy plays a. The motorcycle stuntman that is kind of like oh, yeah. competing with, uh, with uh, you know, um, Evil Knievel. And he totally was inspired by this earthquake motorcycle character because it, it, it's totally, I'm like, oh, this is how, this is how Don Chi decided to play that motorcycle guy in Oceans or whoever wrote There the, you go. You know, See this movie just for that reason. There was definitely some, you know, there's definitely some impact, I think, in regards to some character choices in future movies, you know. Um, and I don't know if that's in the writing or if the, you know, if Don made the choice to play the character that way. I know he does a lot of uh, his own, you know, research and gets in the characters very well. <laughs> but um, so, yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, when we look at this movie, it's, it's, uh, I think it's probably a fun movie to watch if you play drinking games too or something like that. You know? And, uh, Really, on a big screen, really loud, because you got to get the sense around sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you, I don't know, you, you, you have that set up in your house? I can't remember. I've been to your apartment. But well, we, we, you can play it loud. You get um, the surround sound. You get the whole screen. Pretty good. You know, it doesn't quite max up with the technologies today. You need some subwoofers, you know, under the couch. Or a subway train going underneath your building. Yeah, and you're yeah there you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, I think you've covered Earthquake very well there. And um, it's definitely a movie where, you know, you should just involve a lot of alcohol and some friends and make some drinking games. Uh, and, you know, hope there's a real you know, subway train going by. So let's go on to the next movie. Uh, the next movie is Chinatown, which is a, a considered a, a classic, I think, by most uh, film uh, critics. It's uh, considered, um, you know, some would say that it was the most perfect screenplay ever written um, in regards, and I believe uh, Town, Robert Town, was that the name of the, uh, wrote the screenplay, who actually, you know, he wrote the screenplay with in mind that uh, Jack Nicholson would play the main character. They had a, they were, they had a strong friendship. They'd been roommates before and uh, you know, coming up as actors, and the and the movie basically to tell you the story briefly, it's um it's a a classic kind of uh, you know private investigator falls into a um you know 
an easy job that turns into a very complicated job where he's been played and it's and it unravels into a, a big conspiracy with the uh, the water agency of, at Los Angeles and the, and the people who run the water agency, the powers of Los Angeles in regards to this area, and we all these other um, aspects with a beautiful woman who um, we thought was somebody else, and then uh, it, 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 there's there's a lot of uh, you know there's and the whole thing is done in the perspective of the main character Jack Nicholson, who's in every scene, and it, you know and it's directed by Roman Polanski, who you know is was considered at the time a very hot director, uh, and um, it was produced by Robert Evans, and um, and so you know it was a quite a powerhouse, uh, you know with uh, you know a strong cast a strong director, a strong producer. And um, surprisingly, uh, it was you know, critically acclaimed and, and nominated for, I think, 11 Oscars or something. But it actually isn't considered a commercially successful film. Um, I think uh, up to now, I think it's made less than $30 million on a $6 million budget. And uh, so it was not, uh, I think 12 million might have been its, uh, its first year debut. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't picked up commercially. But over the years, it's, you know, academically and uh, cinematically, it's considered a classic uh, film. And, you know, when we watch this film, there's a lot of interesting things that you see. I mean, obviously, Jack Nicholson, um, I, I think that that's probably one of the best films that I've seen him in, in regards to the strength, the overall strength of the, the character. Um, you know, he usually plays this kind of, uh, and a lot of some of the other stuff around that time, he played, you know, he plays a kind of a quirkiness to him that in this, you don't see that as much as I think you see that classic 40s movie star, you know, a lot of the flavor of the of the movie was kind of filmed in that classic um, style of, of, you know, leading beautiful leading lady, the way they made Faye Donnelly with the pencil uh, eyebrows and the flawless skin and, um, and, and him being that kind of a dark, troubled private investigator who's juggling all these things in his life that keep coming up in the movie. Like, you know, that he worked as a police officer in Chinatown, which is why they named it Chinatown. And it was very corrupt. And, and you know, you, you, all these things are kind of coming out in the movie as it plays out. And all these stories are kind of weaving together very well. John Huston plays the, um, the father of, and also the partner who started the water um, you know, he's basically he sold the water company to LA. So he had controlled the water for years and sold the water company to LA to, you know, to LA. His partner, who was the wife, uh, who Faye Donaway was the wife of, uh, his name was was it Hollis Mulray, yeah. and uh, and so he he gets murdered or he's killed, and and that's kind of the whole plot is around him being uh, murdered. Uh, originally found dead, but then realizing he was murdered. And, and then the, there's this whole uh, unraveling of the investigation. And, you know, Jack Nicholson is in the center of this and all these things that are happening and the pressure that's coming from him, from the police, looking at him as, as, as uh, you know, doing things that are illegal during the investigation. And then, and then the father, John Houston, finding out that, you know, he knows too much now. And then, you know, Faye Dunaway playing him on one level, but then also kind of depending on him on another level. There's there's so much of, of the movie that is intricately woven and it's so well done. I mean, it is, a, it, it, I really enjoyed the movie a lot and it, it 
hundred percent still in play as a, as a great, great film. I mean, it just, I thought it was well done from beginning to end. Um, I never felt like I was like, Oh, when is this going to end? I mean, I was just enthralled and, and interested in the movie the whole time. And I, Jack Nicholson, so charismatic in his role that whatever he's even on the screen, you know, it's, it's very, and there was some great support care, Burt Young, who is in there for a very short time, but a key role in, in the movie. Uh, and Burt, I don't know if you know who Burt Young is, but he was in Rocky. He was the uh, uh, Rocky's uh, older, was it his older brother? Or no, he was, no, he was the brother of his, his uh, girlfriend, right? But anyway, that that guy is in this movie, and he's you know he plays the exact same character. You know, he's a very you know character actor, but he, he plays the same guy. You know, and um, so overall, I think the movie um, really good movie, and the, and the cinematography was amazing. Uh, some of the lines are iconic that we still hear. You know, and uh, man, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, and there's a lot of interesting things. Um, about the movie that we can start talking about. But let's hear, Don, what, what your initial feedback on the movie was. Yeah, well, I mean, when you talk about uh, it being, you mentioned it being a perfect film, uh, in terms it's of story, yeah. uh, it's uh, pretty remarkable. It's uh, like, I, so I've, I teach film and I've taught, I've used this film many times and it holds up really well, even with young people today, you know, teenagers. Uh, the story is really simple it seems like and then you get more and more into the layers and they just say oh somebody's playing someone else and there's someone's conning and then it turns around they're they don't even understand what they're doing and and those layers are really well played out and in the end talk about iconic lines you know the final line is like jake you got to go it's chinatown and this whole thing of like what is chinatown chinatown is the literal place it's chinatown where bad things happen but it's also this mindset of like chinatown is how the world is totally corrupt. There's nothing you can do about it. There's all these things you can read into it. Um, uh, so yeah, it's like a neo-noir. So this is like, you know, the film noirs were in the 40s, you know, all this post-war or during the war, it was all dark and, you know, depressing and, and bad things happened. And this is done 30 years later. Same themes, as you said, a private investigator and, and all these things going on. Um, I totally, uh, John Houston as, as Mulray, Mr. Mulray, Fadeaway's father, is one of the best villains I've ever seen. He is so terrifying. I don't think he is Mulray. That was the, the husband, but. Awesome. No, it's Mulray, Mrs. Mulray. Yeah, it's Mulray. Hollis Mulray was the guy who was killed. And then his, his name was like, uh, was it Crown or or Sloan or some? some... She's Mrs. Mulray. Yeah, but the but John Holland is, is, oh. is John, the he... father of her. So oh. he they, she had her husband's name. And, and uh, you're right. His name is Cross, not not Cross. Yeah, yeah. He he's such a like. He's got a great scene where Jack Nicholson, as uh, you know, the the private investor, Mister Gittis, and he yeah. sits down with him, and he says, Mister Gitz, Mister Gitz, and then he Nicholson corrects him three or four times. It's it's Gittis, and he keeps calling him Gitz, and then they they serve the food and it's fish, and then this is it's a full fish with its head on, and he's got this great line. It's like. I like, eating, I like eating the fish with their heads on. And he just says these things that are just like irritating, but it's it's not like, it's just menacing and evil. So he is great. And the other one is Polanski. Polanski also plays a small role in this yeah, film. Yeah. He plays a small time crook who cuts, iconically cuts Jack Nicholson's nose. And uh, it's this great scene where he puts the switchblade up his nose and he holds it. 
and the anticipation of he's really going to cut his nose is for like 10, 15 seconds. And Polanski's the little guy and Nicholson comments on you being a little guy. And then he slits his um, a nose. So those two, just those two roles on the run, you talk about Burt Young is great and, and Faye Dunaway is great. Um, it's such a beautifully played and written and, and shot that the, the images are beautifully framed. I mean, in yeah, terms of yeah. That's nice, the, the background, the way they chose the backgrounds. And you know, the interesting thing, you, I just wanted to bring up a couple of points of what you just brought up. You know, Roman Polanski almost didn't play that role because he wouldn't cut his hair. He didn't, he had long hair and he didn't want to cut it. And so he almost pulled out of not playing that role. And then on the set, he finally decided, all right, and he got his hair cut because he felt like the guy could not have long hair, you know, and it's probably true. And so he got his hair cut so he could play that, that role in the movie. Uh, and the other thing that was interesting as you brought up is uh, John Houston had a lot of problems saying Guinness, the, the role that, that so the, the, the scene that you, the dialogue that you brought up, that was actually inadvertent. John Houston could not say Guinness. He kept saying Gits, Gits. And so Roman Polanski just wrote in a line that said, just correct him. And so that, that at no point in the movie could Houston actually say the correct last name. And so they just kind of rolled with that and let Houston kind of play that out. And Houston wasn't his worst choice for that seat, that, that character. You know, they really wanted another actor, um, which I can't remember, but he died before the, the movie could be made. And then John Houston was the second choice for that, that role, which turned out to be a wonderful because he was so yeah. good at that. Yeah. So um, Mr. Cross, yeah. And so, you know, that, that movie, um, uh, and it's important that Cross, because at some point, Jack Nicholson's character uh, sees her initials on a, on, a, on a dress or a bag or something and says, what does the C stand for? And, and she, she, he gets it out of her that it's Cross. And then that's when he connects that this is the daughter of, of the, the water mogul when he goes to the offices to investigate the murder. So, so that is a key thing that the, the guy's name, you know, the cross is, plays a, a little bit of a role in connecting some of the, some of the, the unwoven uh, intricacies of the, of the plot in the, in the movie. You teach this, what, how do you approach the, uh, the character development? Is it something that, that you spend time on with, with how the movie kind of develops the characters as it, as it plays on? Is that something that you, that you work with the students and kind of identifying? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, so, you know, film noir always, you know, the, think of the Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart films. Yeah. Um, they always have, you know, the, 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 the guy that drinks a lot and, and he knows it all, he's always got a snappy rejoinder. And, and then you never trust the women because women are always going to, you know, cheat you in the end. And so that's, that's, that, that, those are the, those are the um, archetypes this film is based on. And so we're thinking of, you know, uh, Jack Nicholson's character this way, that he's one of these tough guys. And it turns out he is kind of this character, but he's got this past that we don't know. We know something really bad happened when I was a policeman and, and he got totally screwed by somebody. We never find out what the story is. And then in the end, he finally wants to do the right thing. He, and he, and he, he's, the whole time he thinks he's been like the Humphrey Bogart character that he, he knows everything that's going on. And then of course, we suddenly realize it's like, oh no, you, you, you totally suffered from hubris here and you're actually you were playing into their game the whole time. And then also Faye uh, Dunaway, when she's got this great scene, you know, the, when he's like, you know, she's my sister, she's my daughter, the, the, that crazy slapping scene. Yeah. You know, up to that point, we've always thought she's a femme fatale where she's like, 
you know, a, a lying double crossing dame that, you know, we can't trust her. And it turns out, of course, that she's been really badly battered and, and oh, betrayed. Horribly, horribly. Yeah. Horribly. And, and so the two kind of trapped. And she's kind of trapped, you know? Totally trapped. And we think we kind of know who they are because it's based on a, it's got the, it is film noir and it's got this, we know what those kinds of films are supposed to be like. And that's what's so great about it. in terms of character. We think we know who these characters are. And as they're revealed, we're starting to realize we don't really know who they are at all. And in the end, you know, it's a tragic, dark ending. And we're, we're you know, kind of devastated because we kind of thought we knew who these people were. And then we kind of feel bad, I guess, for judging them. Um, yeah, you know, and the interesting thing is you talked about that slap. That slap is so, it's a real, I mean, he slapped the, he just smacked the hell out of her in that scene. And the interesting thing is that when they first did that scene, he, he, they were trying to not have it be real. And she got frustrated because she didn't think it worked. And so she just told him, just smack me, just slap me hard. And so he, following her, you know, following her instructions, he really hit her. He really smacked her. And he said, and there, there's reports that he felt horrible about that afterwards. You know, there's a lot of guilt in the fact that he smacked her that hard for real in the film. And man, it is a very impactful. Well, film. I mean, come on. She was in the first movie that I brought up when we started uh, Bonnie yeah. and Clyde. And she's great in that. And she was also in Towering Inferno, the other disaster film of the year. She's the wife of Paul Newman. And she delivers a, I think she just played for the money in that film. Yeah. Yeah. Her performance holds up remarkably well in this. I mean, she's yeah, she's good. In it. She's good. And, you know, the ending, which is tragic, actually wasn't supposed to be that way. They they um, Polanski forced uh, town, the screenwriter, to change the ending to make it much darker. Uh, at, and and town just resisted the whole time. He did not want. And so you know, Polanski had to sit down with him and basically just cajole him physically, almost, you know, just do it, just rewrite the ending, you know, and he actually wrote it apparently, the, the final ending, because it's much darker than you would expect. Yeah, and the thing is, we've got to remember, this is a little bit later, but, you know, uh, Charlie Manson killed his wife brutally four years before this, and uh, he did Macbeth right after that, Polanski did, and he, you know, he was a playboy of Hollywood up until those days. Sharon Tate was a beautiful woman, and you know, she was eight months, eight months pregnant when Manson killed her. And, uh, you know, he, his life turned dramatically after that. And he made really dark films and his films always ended badly. He got involved in rape charges with a, a young woman and he, yeah, you know, yeah. country still in trouble. And that was the last film he was able to make in the U.S. And then he had to, yeah. you know, he had to flee. And, because, yeah, and he's a great, I mean, I'm not forgiving any of the whatever happened. There's many issues about this, this charge that was against him but uh um you know that moment i mean he was directly a, a victim of a horrible violent you know random crime and I, you know it's weird because i think i think Char chinatown is probably i mean you know as a film goer you kind of wish it doesn't end so tragically but it it probably works much better that it does end that way that what that's what makes it such a uh, if it were to end better, I, I don't think it's as effective. So yeah, that, it was. I mean, it is definitely a, a strong ending. I mean, the whole. I mean, but the the energy of the the movie is just all the way through. It's just so massive. Yeah. So you know. Well, there's but, one similarity we can draw between Chinatown and Earthquake is that they both end tragically. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We can we can't go with that. They do both end tragically, mm -hmm. and, and you know, overall, I'd say that we picked some interesting films. Uh, for 1974, and I think our next uh, our next stop is our final year of this series, 1975. 75. So 
Um, it's been uh, a great session of podcasts where we've looked at uh, many interesting different films from the years, but we're going to finish it off uh, hopefully strong with our choices for 1975. So thanks again, Don, and we'll see you on our next episode of Around the Corner.